You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into BGN Radio. This is episode 7. I am your host today, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. I am joined by the cult leader of Bleeding Green Nation. <laughs> he is Brandon Lee Galton. BLG, how you doing, bud? Oh, Michael, I'm doing very well. Because as you may know, if you're listening to this by now, you do know that the Dallas Cowboys started the season 0-1. I mean, look, we're always happy here for an Eagles win. That's great. That's awesome. That's obviously the point of this whole thing, right? But... I- just a Cowboys loss. It just it does not get much sweeter than that. And just for it to be in the fashion that it happened to, which we'll get into. So I'm doing well. Just a really good start to NFL week one. Absolutely. And that's going to be the main topic here on BGN Radio Episode 7, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. We're going to take a, a walk around the league and talk about the games that we saw today. Obviously, the Eagles played their game on Thursday, so we got to sit back, put our fan hat on, kick our feet up, and watch some uh, sweet, sweet NFL Week 1 action. I mean, just going down the list here, you got some interesting storylines. The Saints' defense were shredded by the Bucks. It was the highest-scoring uh, opening game in the Super Bowl era. The Browns forced six turnovers and tied the Pittsburgh Steelers for the first season-opening tie since 1971. Pats win. Baltimore blows out Buffalo, the Vikings edge out San Fran, and then you've got our divisional games, which is going to be the early focus here on this show. The It will start, like you said, with the Dallas Cowboys, who in the 4 p.m. game against the Carolina Panthers dropped one 16-8, and it looked absolutely inept, cowardly too, on offense. It was a bad showing, not only for the coaching staff, uh, but for Dak Prescott, the offensive line the wide receivers, it all looked bad. And even Sean Lee got exposed a few times early in the game, which was interesting to see because usually he's so rock steady. But BLG, man, what were your takeaways from the big Cowboys loss that sets them starting the season at 0-1? Well, anyone who knows me and has listened to BGN Radio in the past knows that I just love when Dak Prescott does not play well because, (laughs) because everyone was so sure that he was such a great player after a 2016 where he literally had everything going right for him. Perfect run game. Uh, you know, the, rec- the receivers were there. Like, everything was going great, and everyone thought this he was just going to be this amazing player in the fourth round. The Cowboys totally found a steal. And, hmm, guess what? 
Ever since then, when he hasn't had things going perfect, and starting back in last year when Zeke had that suspension, and the Cowboys were having some offensive line issues, and Sean Lee, of course, was not playing back then, uh, things haven't looked as good for Dak Prescott then, and it's very predictable, because we were saying all along, at least I was saying all along, that back in 2016, the Cowboys were good when Dak didn't have to do his job. He was mm. la- third to last in pass attempts. They were better when he was not throwing the ball. To this point, right now, today, Dak Prescott, I think, only has three 300-yard games still. Like This is not a guy who is carrying that team. And I think more and more out of what we see from him, and guess what? He did have Sean Lee and Ezekiel Elliott today. And, and he still Smith. lost. He still did not look good. He is not a quarterback who can carry the team i hope the cowboys sign him to an extension because this guy i think and and this is how i felt for a while now is going to keep them mired in mediocrity i just the the cowboys today were two of 13 or two of 11 here on third and fourth down situations and how many of those were like you just you could not trust Dak to make an accurate throw. I mean, there's a point where he had Blake Jarwin, his tight end, wide open, just underthrows him. Like it's just he's just not good, man. And Kiss, you had pointed it out here, saying that oh, the Cowboys have a third and eleven. What do they do? A swing pass <laughs> yeah. on a three step drop yeah. or third and twenty six. What do they do? They hand off to Ezekiel Elliott. They hand <laughs> off. They don't even trust him to throw the ball. I mean, it's just so obvious that this guy is not someone to be scared of. And that's great to have. And they showed zero trust in him in that game. And not only in th- those situations, which, I mean, screen passes on third down all over the place. He, he was that swing pass blew my mind. I'm like, they're not even they're not even trying. He's not even, he did. He doesn't even want to test downfield. And that's what we saw a lot in the second half of last year without Tyron Smith to protect him. Well, Tyron's in there now and he's got a little bit of a time. And even when he's got a clean pocket, that that throw to Jarwin that you mentioned should have been a touchdown. That was easy six right there. And he his accuracy all game was just bad. And then speaking of the trust in him on second down and second down and long, the Cowboys wanted to run the ball. It's one of the worst play calls that you have as an offense trying to run the ball on second and long to try to set yourself up for third and manageable. It's one of the biggest wastes. You need to throw the ball in that situation. They didn't trust Dak to do it, and he couldn't do it. 19 for 29, 170 yards. They had 3.9 yards per pass attempt. It was just a poor game. And what you're seeing is with Ezekiel Elliott, 15 carries, 69 yards, and uh, and that lone touchdown, their only touchdown of the day late in the fourth quarter. I mean, talk about Zeke since he's been back. 26 points in the in the three games since he's been back from, from his suspension in his last three games has been bad. And that offensive line is not the fearsome foe that that we you know that that is pushing people around in the past and that's what this Dallas Cowboys team is built around is the offensive line if they're not being elite if they're not being that top 1 top 2 type group this offense has nothing and they have zero separation from their wide receivers their quarterback isn't throwing an accurate ball and pushing it downfield and, and, and Zeke doesn't have those wide open holes to run through so i don't i don't know man they don't look like they're going to have a very good season. Their offense is so unimaginative. I was watching the game, and there were points where I had two TVs up, and I was watching Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott at the same time, and it was very, very unfair for uh, for Dak to have that situation going on for him because Mahomes just looks so much better. But any other thoughts on the uh, on the Dallas loss, BLG? For me, obviously, the big thing is Dak. But overall, I mean, look, it's not all his fault. I mean, obviously, like you said, the line isn't good. The receivers aren't great. 
Uh, the coaching, we as we know, is just not – it's yeah. not good coaching. There are some fair things to point at and say, you know, look, it's not all Dak's fault. I get that. But still, to me, you know, he's just – he's not elevating above it. Like, when has Dak ever faced a bad situation and he's overcome it? Like, I right. haven't seen that. And at some point, you need your franchise quarterback to do that. So that's what it kind of comes down to me. Um, I think this Cowboys team could be in trouble if this offensive line continues to struggle here. I just don't think they're. I just don't think they're that great. I think uh, they're. They could be the worst team in the division, or or third to worst. Uh, that's where Stolness and I had kind of placed them in the preview show. I think the Eagles are in are at top, and I think Washington here is the clear second. I think the Giants and Dallas, and again, it's one game, so we'll see. But just. Yeah. Going into the season, that was even my thought, that Washington was number two, the Eagles were one, and then the Giants and Cowboys, in some order, were behind them. And it's certainly, certainly looking that way. Again, only week week one in the books for us. But look, let's get something out of the way with the uh, with the New York Giants here before we go on to the Washington Redskins, who had a very efficient game with their new quarterback, Alex Smith. So as far as the Giants go, and they took a loss 20-15 to 15 to the Jaguars today. If you listened to the Kiston Solak show, before the relaunch and during the draft cycle, uh, you know, and you know this too, BLG, I was a big, 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 big Darius Geis guy. Um, and I've also been very critical of the Giants roster management in regard to sticking with Eli and not drafting their quarterback of the future with the second overall pick or at the very least taking the war chest to move back. I still don't. I still do not agree with taking a running back at two. Now, regardless, Saquon Barkley, no matter what you think of the pick, is on the roster and that's the reality that we're dealing with, so we're going to keep it within those parameters. At halftime of this game with the Jaguars, Saquon Barkley had eight carries, 12 yards, and a long of 10. That means outside of that long of 10, there were seven other carries for two yards. He ended the game with 18 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown, which is a good stat line. And that touchdown, which was a beautiful run, showed elusiveness, contact balance, play strength, burst, ability to create, all that, all that stuff. All that stuff that makes Saquon Barkley an elite talent. Make no mistake about that. He is an elite talent. But with a 68-yard run, you take that off, 34 yards on 17 carries. We saw something very similar from him at Penn State in a similar situation with probably an equally as bad offensive line. He would disappear four games and stretches. And other games, he would hit a home run or two, and he would be the star of the show again. The line in New York is bad. And they played real bad against the Jaguars. And one home run does not an efficient running game make. And it doesn't help you in any other situation during the game except for that one play. And former uh, Cleveland Brown offensive tackle Joe Thomas has talked about this before, saying that he'd rather have a run game that churned out four or five, six yards at a clip than a run game that got stuffed for 95% of the game and then broke one big one. And this is not a referendum on Saquon Barkley. Far from it. But this offensive line is going to make this offense scattershot with their production when it could be a lot more. And that's why I'm not scared of Saquon. There was a run where he was dead to rights in the backfield, locked up with a linebacker. He broke free from that, reversed field, found three yards out of a very bad situation. It was an excellent run. And even that was called back for a hold. So good luck if you're banking on one home run a game from this guy because overall the offense scored 15 points. That's not sustainable, and it led to a loss against a bad Jaguars offense because they couldn't translate all that skill, position, talent to points. So what happens, like, not just this year, but what happens next year? 
do they have to invest in a quarterback next year with Eli Manning being 37 years old already? Are they going to have to need to trade up to get one? Where are the linemen going to come from to fix this with those resources being poured into quarterback? Because from center to right tackle, it's a sieve. And are they going to get it in free agency next year? You've got huge contracts for Eli, huge contract for, for Nate Solder. Odell Beckham Jr. just got paid. Are you going to have the resources to find them in free agency while the depth on the defense continues to whittle away? I just don't see how they fix this problem for Saquon in the immediate future. And that's sad for him because he stepped foot in the NFL and BLG, he instantly flashed top tier potential. Yeah, that's well said, Mike, there. Uh, again, just you take away that 68-yard run, and look, he can't do that. I mean, he had it. It's not like I'm taking it away. I'm saying it doesn't right. count. But the point stands that outside of that, it wasn't much, not not much to be scared of. And look, even if Saquon is really good, it all comes down to the quarterback, as we know. Eli Manning, who is 37 years old, went 23 of 37 for 224 yards, zero touchdowns. He had the pick six which was tipped, but still, like, he threw it right at a defensive lineman, too. It's like, it was not the best decision there. Guess who messed up that protection? It was Eric Flowers on the right side. Uh, putting him on oh the right side God. doesn't hide anything. He was so bad. What a disaster. His start to the game, he gets called for, like, tripping on one of the first couple plays, and then he gets holding, and that should have, like, that really almost should have been a safety there. I mean, I, I, I think it's crazy that's not. But, um, yeah, so Manning finishes with a 67.9 passer rating. It is clear he is still not scaring anybody. I'm sure I'll somehow still find a way to look randomly good against the Eagles. Hopefully not. But if it does, that'll be annoying again. Um, but, yeah, I just you're not scared of this team. Like, there's nothing scary about the Giants. The The offense is not good uh, when you're, you're having offensive line issues and you have this uh, just aging quarterback who was clearly just he was never all that good to begin with first of all and now he's just washed and look Odell Beckham is very good and he's gonna get his and he did today but I mean it's just not enough to make this whole team very scary and when you look at the other side of the ball I mean some people might be like well yeah the Giants defense played well I mean no come on yeah come they on. gave up a 41 yard run to Blake Bortles <laughs> I mean he, <laughs> I, I I wish Barkley didn't get that 68 yard touchdown run because I was I was so excited for Blake yeah. Bortles to outrush Barkley. I mean that would have been fantastic. But I mean that's another takeaway I had from this game. Just looking on the flip side and looking at a, a future Eagles opponent, as we know in London in Week Eight, the Jaguars are just they're not going anywhere with Bortles. Man, he's just so bad. Like he even had some actually okay throws and good moments, but you just look at the overall product and it's just it's not good. So. Uh, the, the those two teams almost finding themselves in similar situations here. Like, you can get excited about Barkley and the weapons, whatever, Odo Beckham. You can get excited about the Jags defense. It all comes down to quarterback, and, and neither of those teams have it, so they're not really going anywhere. Speaking of a team with a quarterback, the Washington Redskins have a new one, and he was very, very efficient today. Played an excellent game for the Washington Redskins as they trounce the Sam Bradford-led Arizona Cardinals. And uh, Sam Bradford, check this stat line out, baby. Oh, brother. 20 for 34, 153 yards, baby. That's that's check down city if I've ever seen it. <laughs> and then I, I, I saw one check down that I need to highlight. It was third and 10. Yeah. And he checked down to a running back behind the line of scrimmage. It wasn't a screenplay. It was a check down behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So Alex Smith goes 21 for 30. He's got two touchdowns, 255 yards. Adrian Peterson, um, 
not a real efficient day, but he had uh, solid plays even in the past game. He had 70 receiving yards, 96 rushing yards on 26 carries, and a touchdown there as well. Chris Thompson contributed uh, contributed in the passing game as well, six receptions for 63 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they just seemed, especially with getting Jordan Reed back healthy, who had a good game and a touchdown, um, Alex Smith just looked uh, decisive. And you look at the, the touchdown to Jordan Reed, where it's a slant-flat concept. Smith knew what he was looking at, delivered the ball with excellent placement and timing. And this is an offense where if they don't have the, the injury luck or the bad luck that they had last year, where I think they ranked 30th in adjusted game loss uh, throughout their entire offensive unit, especially on the offensive line, it was bad. If they can stay healthy, I think I'm with you, BLG, that they're the solid uh, second team in the NFC East and are the ones that can actually threaten us um, and, and are decent on both sides of the ball. So what do you think about their game against the Cardinals, BLG? Yeah, I think one of the big reasons why coming into this season I've been relatively bullish on Washington and their outlook is that I think by far they have the second best coach and second best quarterback in the division. And and it's like a big gap between them and what the Cowboys and the Giants have. So I think that's that's a big difference for them. Uh they're just they're solid. They're not look, I think their ceiling is ultimately ultimately limited, right? Because Alex Smith has not proven to be that guy in the mm. playoffs. He is a better version of Dak Prescott in the sense that uh he's better, but he is not this guy who's ultimately just gonna carry the team, especially in the playoffs. We've just we've seen it before. So like I'm not fearful in the sense that Washington is this rising giant the Eagles have to worry about. You know, I, I think it's a legitimate concern because I think they're going to those those games against Washington, the Eagles will play. I think they'll be tough because I think Washington's going to be a tough team. I think they're going to hang around. I don't know if they make the playoffs for sure, but I think they're going to be in that conversation at least until late into the season. So they're going to be hanging around. They're kind of going to be an annoying team that the Eagles will ultimately have to contend with here, I think, for this division lead. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with them. They're to me, they're just they're head and shoulders above where the Giants and the Cowboys project to be. I think they're the biggest threat to the Eagles in the NFC East. Again, I'm not shaking in my boots at Washington, but I think they are a, a nuisance for sure. I think you find out what the Washington Redskins are not in this upcoming week in Week Two where they play the Indianapolis Colts, uh, but in Week Three, Week Four they play the Green Bay Packers, and then they have the New Orleans Saints as well and those would be two big tests for them to see if they're they're up to snuff if they'll live up to the hype that we've been putting on them just now but yeah i mean speaking of the new orleans saints can we talk about our upcoming opponent blg can we talk about a freaking score <laughs> and stat lines that are just bonkers the tampa bay buccaneers who we play in week two on the road i'll be at the game uh if any of you listeners are in the tampa bay area come uh, come seek me out hit me up on twitter and uh we'll share a beer or something but tampa bay buccaneers 48 New Orleans Saints, 40. The Saints drop one at home. Ryan Fitzpatrick, oh man, 417 yards and four touchdowns. And you look, at the, you look at the other side, too. Drew Brees was 37 for 45 with 439 yards and three touchdowns. Michael Thomas had 16 catches for 180 yards. Alvin Kamara had over 100 yards receiving, and they lost. This was a crazy game, and it was wild to see Marshawn Lattimore for the Saints burnt and beat up as badly as he was during this game. Mike Evans went off. Deshaun Jackson went off. Chris Godwin looked fantastic. He had a diving grab and then and then a touchdown himself. So they got some receiving weapons there in Tampa Bay. BLG, is this the new look Buccaneers without Jameis Winston? What's going on with them? 
<laughs> so one of my favorite things about this, in my mind, is that Eagles fans in some way would have made either result here look bad for the Eagles, just because I think it's natural as a fan to almost want to be worried. And like, I feel like if the Buccaneers lost this game and got killed, people would have been like, oh man, you know, the Bucs, they're going to be at home. They're really going to want the win this week. And on the flip <laughs> side, the Bucks have the game they do where they just beat up the Saints and everyone's like, oh, now they're good and we can't beat them. So I, I just, I love like that double standard that kind of happens and it kind of annoys me. Um, but when I look at this Bucks team, uh, when I was going through my picks against the spread and my picks straight up this week, I was I, I saw I acknowledged upset potential. I ultimately took the Saints because you know of course I'm going to take the Saints at home. But the thing with the Bucks and the Saints is that in their last seven meetings, the Saints have only beat them five out of three times, so it's almost a split there. And all of those games except one, so seven out of those eight games were one possession games. So those two teams, they're in the same division. They play each other close. I don't think we have to make uh, the world out of the Bucks winning this game. I think it could just be, hey, two division teams. Everyone was counting out the Bucks. Clearly, they were 10-point underdogs heading into week one. They really used that to rally and get a big win. Maybe next week it's kind of a letdown for them against the Eagles. Uh, another thing, if you're looking to play devil's advocate there, they just allowed 40 points. I know they scored 48, <laughs> yeah. but they also allowed a lot of points. And Deshaun Jackson, our, our old favorite friend there, I think he did, it seems like he did suffer a concussion in the, that game. So we don't even know 100% if he will be playing against the Eagles. I'm sure he wants to, of course, but some things to, to watch there. And, and Fitzpatrick, I mean, we've seen him have good moments in the in before. Like he's in the league for a reason, but yeah. he hasn't been able to to sustain that consistently throughout his career. So am I shaking in my boots because the Bucks won 48 to 40 against the Saints? No. Do I think the Bucks are tougher than we probably gave them credit for heading into this game? Absolutely. So not scared overall again just yet, but, you know, it could be a little bit tougher than expected. And here's an interesting stat that you pointed out to me. We were looking at, let's see, that's three, four, five, six, seven, the last seven quarterbacks to come out in a season opener against the New Orleans Saints. All of them, literally all of them, Aaron Rodgers, Robert Griffin, Matt Ryan twice, Carson Palmer, Derek Carr, Sam Bradford, which <clears throat> Sam Bradford has over 300 yards. That's something to talk about. All of them had over 300 yards. All of them, except Derek Carr, had multi-touchdown games. Only two interceptions overall out of those seven games. I mean, they just, for some reason, they come out and get absolutely shredded in the first week of the season. Maybe it's something to, to keep an eye on next year, but uh, maybe it's just like a fluky type of stat thing. It just lines up that way. But yeah, the Saints defense is not what it was built to be. And, uh, you know, I, I hate I hate to put it out there, but are you thinking that they might be frauds, BLG? Because they ain't played <laughs> no birdie. <laughs> that tweet is just so it's just so great. It just It'll keeps never not be great. It just yeah, it just keeps getting better. Um, I love that. One thing I want to mention, I, I probably should have, should have mentioned this at the top of the show. I just I didn't even think of it till now. Carson Wentz apparently has not been ruled out for week two. Uh, Chris Mortensen saying this earlier today, Sunday on ESPN. Uh, Jay Glazer said he will not be playing in week two, most likely, and I don't think Carson Wentz will be playing in week two, but there did seem to be an optimism that he could be back for week three. That is what Chris Mortensen said, that people inside the Eagles building feel that way. We saw Peter King a couple weeks ago throw out week three, and I think clearly he heard something when he kind of just threw that opinion out there, so... That is one thing to definitely be encouraged about. If Carson is going to be ready soon, I feel good about that as well. 
Yeah. And one other thing that I wanted to touch on here, and we didn't touch on it when we talked about the the Cowboys game with the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers took some big knocks today, man. Greg Olson, who broke his foot last year, was seen with a with a brace or a boot, excuse me, a boot on his same foot that he broke last year. So he might be out for a good while. They lost their starting right tackle and Daryl Williams, who was dealing with a knee issue in camp, decided and elected not to get surgery on it. And it looks like he may have damaged that knee even more so. So he's out. And then Luke Keekley went down in the game. Um, and that didn't look great. So we're still waiting for news on that. I didn't think that Carolina had much of a chance to challenge in the NFC coming into the season. If those are the injuries that they're dealing with, actually, and, and you know what, and speaking of that, it makes a Dallas loss look even worse. But if uh, Carolina is dealing with those injuries, does that pretty much like put them out of consideration for someone that you're worried about, BLG? Yeah, they've always been a weird team in the sense of like they're good one year, they're bad one year, they're good one year. So yeah. if you go by that pattern, which I don't, I don't know if you can, but if you do, <laughs> <laughs> they would be bad this year again. And I think, you know, you saw what Cam can still do. So I just don't think they're going to fall off the earth here completely. But those are significant losses you just said. I mean, Olsen um, and, and then Keekley and then, and then Williams. I mean, Williams especially. You saw how that. Panthers offensive line really struggled to protect Cam at that yeah. point in the game when he went out. Like he just, they didn't have a chance late in the game there. So yeah, because you got Demarcus Lawrence lining up over the right tackle, and if your starter exactly. goes down, and they don't, and the, and the Panthers have zero depth on that offensive line. They've been pulling in guys from everywhere. So yeah, it was it was a bad situation for them. So now you put Brandon Graham there <laughs> in uh, <laughs> week seven, I believe they play. Yeah, right before the uh, the the Jaguars game. So that'll be an interesting matchup. That was always going to be interesting, you know, with the whole thing from last year. It was it was a really good game, Pete Morelli, all that. But now, uh, definitely Panthers taking a hit there. So it's another. I mean, it, it's it's very significant to to follow along with all these NFC teams because, as we've said, this is going to be a loaded conference. There's not going to be a lot of breathing room. Any kind of edges there, I mean, obviously you don't want to see people get hurt, but any kind of edges that happen there, like the Eagles are going to have to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. The NFC is going to be a bloodbath. Uh, the Vikings beat San Fran today with, with their new quarterback situation. It's looking all right for them. Jimmy Garoppolo kind of came back down to uh, earth after he uh, shredded it last season at the end of the season. BLG, any other games that you watched that uh, that you, you kind of zoned in on and uh, had, it, had it take about? Because I got to tell you, I enjoyed the Cleveland Browns against the Pittsburgh Steelers game <laughs> to absurd degrees. And I don't know what's going on with the Steelers, but they need to stop pretending like they're a thing because they are not a thing. They get on the road. And they completely collapse, and you could see this come. You could see this coming from a mile away. This is what the Steelers do. They play down to their competition. They play awful on the road. They turn the ball over. They turned it over six times against the Browns this time. And if not for a blocked field goal, and now granted, the Steelers had missed a field goal, uh, a short field goal themselves in the game, but gave Cleveland a chance to get their first win. Cleveland snaps their losing streak by <laughs> by not winning. <laughs> That is so perfect. Our our friends over at Dogs by Nature, which is the Cleveland Browns SB Nation site, they have a shirt now that says undefeated O, O, and 1. <laughs> that is so good uh, just to be able to make fun of themselves. And as co of course, I must point out the Browns have advanced to 131 and 1 since passing on Carson Wentz. So big congrats to them. They can't go 0 16 this season, Mike. So it's a, it's a big win for them in that regard. Uh, as for the Steelers, like you said, like what are you doing? What, yeah. what are the Steelers? 
what are they doing? <laughs> and just their their whole team is a mess with like people calling out Le'Veon, Le'Veon not being there. Like all of that is just it's not good juju for them right now. And I'm not talking about Smith Schuster. <laughs> just like it's it's, yeah. it's that was not intentional, by the way. I did not mean to say that. It was really bad. Um, but it's 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 really bad. What's what's going on there? I just man. Uh, not pretty. Definitely, definitely an ugly game. Uh, one of the games I didn't get to see, Mike, but you were all excited about is Pat Mahomes out there in L.A. in in a stadium where the the Chargers just have no home field advantage at all. It sounds like he was doing well. Yeah, let me tell you, if there's if there's a quarterback out there that that could take maybe a coach that like Andy Reid that's been in the league for forever and might be a little fatigued and you know, starting to think about, you know, life after football, you give that guy a shot in the arm like Patrick Mahomes. And man, you get real interested about, you know, dialing up your offense again. I don't know if you need to see that offense. People call the Philadelphia Eagles offense a college offense. <laughs> Kansas City is straight out of college. You're talking triple options and all this bullet motions and jet motions and, and and all the crazy stuff, the, the the touch passes after the snap with all the the intersecting guys going, it's it's bonkers. And Mahomes just lets it fly. I absolutely love his game. Like I said, I was watching two games next to each other: it was the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. And you're watching Mahomes, you know, throw these fullback wheels in the bucket, and Dak Prescott can't even get the ball out of his hands for more than uh, <laughs> ten yards without it hitting the dirt. So. They're going to be fun to watch. The problem with the Chiefs is they get to like week six, week seven, and they just seem to to stall out. And it kind of happened with them last year uh, as well. So it'll be interesting to see if, if teams start to figure out that offense and start to dial in and maybe Mahomes, because Mahomes is real uh, uh, prone to mistakes, as we saw during his time in Texas Tech, and he will give up some turnovers. But today, man, him and Tyreek Hill – Tyreek Hill looked like the fastest man on the planet. He was an absolute cheat code. So that offense is like appointment viewing. It's it's so much fun. And I love crazy high-scoring football, so that's like right up my alley. And uh, Chiefs teams always stalling out in the playoffs too with – well, especially right. Andy Reid. So a little cheap yeah. shot there by me. They'll figure a way how to – they'll figure a way to choke it. That's, that's <laughs> They that's always my... do. <laughs> they always do. A couple of things I wanted to re-highlight here because I feel like maybe I didn't hammer them hard enough because I will never – Hammer the the fact that Dak Prescott is not very good hard enough yeah. is that he is seventy five of one twenty for seven hundred and forty yards one touchdown and four interceptions with a passer rating of sixty eight point eight which is not nice in his last four games he is not good man and <laughs> since week fourteen since Carson Wentz tore his ACL Carson Wentz Trey Burton and Dak Prescott all have one touchdown pass since then he uh, Dak has something like. He has zero touchdown passes in six out of his last nine games. Like, any way you slice this, it's just it's not good. And speaking of not good quarterbacks, I need to hammer the fact that the Cardinals gave Sam Bradford $20 million a year, which is a raise from what he got last year where he didn't play except for one game and then tore his ACL. And like they just they're like okay this is the the best thing we're gonna do not trade for a Super Bowl MVP like they couldn't make that kind of decision uh, aggressive decision at quarterback they had to do one where it just didn't benefit the Eagles at all and it's just it it really hurts Mike it really hurts for the Cardinals to just be so dumb 
and to throw that money at Sam Bradford. So I'm sorry to bring that up again, but it's just I'm sitting here. I am perplexed by why does Sam Bradford continue to get a job? Like, what are people seeing? What are people doing? He just yeah. people say he has the best agent. It's true, but I mean, come on, guys. Like, what are these teams doing? He's just stealing money. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel yeah. I feel like uh, I, I definitely hear you on that. I feel like that's that's a good. That's a good stopping point for us. A little crap on uh, Dak and uh, Sam Bradford to end the night. I'm good with that. We're recording before the uh, Sunday night game or as the Sunday night game is going on. So we're going to watch that. If anything crazy happens, please forgive us uh, for not talking about us. But what we have on the on the docket here for the rest of the week, uh, I'm going to be talking with Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report. We're going to be previewing the game. We're going to have the regular preview with BGN Radio with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton. Me and Benjamin Stolak still ta- have to talk tomorrow and we'll be recording something after we've broken down the film from the Falcons and Eagles season opener. So there's still more, some more wrap-up to do with that, a little more nuanced talk about X's and O's, all the nerdy stuff that we like to get into. Um, I'm done charting the games and everything, so I've got some analytics that I can that I can throw at you and bore you to death with probably, but I'll try to make it real sexy for you. Other than that... I have a quick one for you, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think of Braxton Miller signing to the Eagles practice squad? We, we, that's a very minor thing we didn't touch on. Yeah, the the very easy uh, place to go because Braxton Miller was a college quarterback is that we are going to install some trick plays with him. And we are going to run a Cordell Stewart-like slash offense if, <laughs> if he works out. <laughs> and they're going to cut Nick Foles if he just continues to struggle, right? I He's going to be quarterback obvious. three. But yeah, not too much to take away from that. BLG, do you have anything else for the uh, the gentle listeners? That's about it, man. Uh, it, it was a good first week. Like I, I think, you know, obviously it would have been even better if Washington had lost, but wasn't really expecting that anyway. So whatever, they beat a, a bad Cardinals team. The Giants lose. Cowboys lose. The Eagles are first in the division after week one. All is right in the world. I don't think we could have asked for a much better opening NFL weekend. It was really good. I agree. So, guys, remember, uh, support the show, support uh, Bleeding Green Nation podcast by going to iTunes, leaving five stars. It's the only option that you give you that they give you is five stars. So don't even try uh, leaving something different. Write a review, write a funny review. And uh, me and Ben will probably read it on the air and uh, give you a shout out and all that stuff. We really do appreciate all the support that you've given us during this relaunch. It's been awesome. Uh, very successful. We love you for it. And we all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed. 
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.